0: Greetings and salutations from Times Square, Crossroads of the World. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Thursday, November 19th, 2020. And we have a special edition of the Muni Lowdown today. We have, as a guest, Chiet Nguyen.
1: Triad, welcome to the show. Thank you, yeah, Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure to have you. And I'd like to also welcome back reporter Kaylin Devon in Chicago and Greg Clark, head of municipal research up in New York State. Welcome, guys.
2: Thanks. Good morning.
0: Morning. All right. So uh, before I hand off the mic to uh, Kaylin, to our listeners out there who are not familiar with Triad, let me give you a brief background he is currently Vice President of Strategic Data Operations at DPC Data. You have over you have over four decades of experience in muni research, trading, portfolio management, and financial technology. You have helped design and execute data and analytics solutions for all muni market participants, both on the sell side and the buy side. And before joining DPC, you were also founder and managing partner of Axios Advisors, an independent muni research and credit analytics boutique. You are known as a high-yield distressed muni bond expert and a pioneer in the development of research, workflow solutions, and credit scoring models for munis. You have been an ardent proponent of greater data transparency in the muni market. I think the key word today is transparency. I feel like Alan Ludden on password right now. (laughs) (laughs) But, and also, Triad, you're you are. Yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Triad, you're also uh, an author. I hear you're an author of a book called "Investing in the High Mini Market." So, after today's podcast, I want a signed copy of that. So, without <laughs> further ado, <laughs> I'll give the floor to Caitlin. So, Caitlin, take it away.
2: Thank you. And thanks for being with us, Triad. It's always it's always great to talk to you. I always learn so much when I talk to you. I didn't realize you'd written a book. I want a copy of it, too. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like Yang just said, transparency, disclosure, data in general, but disclosure in particular is one of those perennial hot topics in our market. As a reporter, I can tell you sometimes I feel like I'm reduced to begging for information from issuers and um you know, from from buy-siders, the message is usually there's not enough disclosure. And it's one of those things that differentiates our market from other markets, not necessarily in a good way. I was talking recently with a muni analyst who started to take on some corporate portfolio analysis. And I asked him the difference between disclosure in the two markets. And I think he used a word like insane or something to describe the difference. So, like Young said, you've been around for a while, and I was just wondering if you could start by telling us how disclosure in the muni market has evolved since you've been in the business.
1: Well, Caitlin, it's, you know, as, as, as much as we we don't think much about muni disclosure, uh, it's, it's probably fair to say that uh, it's come a long way. Well, since Greg and I got into the business, you know, kind of back in the age of dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. And, and believe it or not, institutional investors used to get privileged access to state and local issuers, you know, on and, and, and the theory huh. that uh, you 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 got to take care of your biggest investors. And um, so, by the same token, you know, back a few years ago, individual retail investors did not have access to the same kind of information, and and were put at a great disadvantage. So, yes. then, needless to say, the funds use that as a as a marketing patient, and really, to me, that was basically the beginning of the mutual fund boom of, uh, you know, the 80s and 90s, because that, that based on that premise, that, that somehow, you know, they had better access to information, which is, um, you know, probably would be completely unacceptable in the, in today's capital markets.
2: Yeah, that's wild, especially considering we're such a retail market. Sorry, Greg, go ahead.
3: That's that's okay. If if you, I was just going to say, if you look at it, official statements from the uh, early '80s, if you could find one, if you and then looked at one from today, the difference is so stark. Uh, so there, there, there has been. This Triad, I think, said uh, uh, great leaps in municipal disclosure. There was just in terms of auditing standards alone. I think those of us, Triad, what year did you start in the business? If I may ask.
1: I would say 1979.
3: <laughs> so, they, yeah, was I, a long time ago. Yeah, I knew, you were, I knew you were a touch. I had a feeling you are a touch ahead of me. I was 1980. Yeah.
1: So, we oh, still no, we no, started no, no. in the
3: aftermath of the New York City fiscal crisis. And uh, the accounting standards then were, I'll say, close to non existent. I don't want to say non existent, there were some. But uh, that caused a quantum leap in, in terms of accounting disclosure. And then along the way, you had things like the SEC's uh, Rule 15, C-12, and you had uh, technology help too. You had, uh, you probably remember, it might have been DPC actually, uh, about 30 years ago, that had uh, official statements on CD-ROM. And that was groundbreaking. And then, of course, within, I don't know, five, 10 years or so, it all moved online. So, and one of my favorite stories, is uh, when I was at a rating agency and I had to look at some issuer in New Jersey and I called them up and asked them for their audited financials. And what they sent me was the newspaper insert <laughs> <laughs> signed by the county treasurer or somebody I can't remember. But uh, that that was it for their financial statements. It's like one side of a, of a, of a broadsheet newspaper. Anyway.
1: I think there's the, you know, the, the, but there's still, you know, there conti- continues to be a, a little bit of a tug of war between, you know, what investors would like to receive and, and what issuers they're willing to disclose. And obviously the latest issue revolves around, you know, climate change and ESG issues in general also. So um, I think the um, the creation of the MSite by the MSRB well, was meant to put everybody on a on level of playing field, although it, it has proven to be uh, some uh, somewhat imperfect
2: solution well i was going to say okay now i feel bad about complaining about disclosure now <laughs> after hearing hearing the tales of old but i still do hear you know especially about timeliness and um it's sort of robust disclosure and timeliness of disclosure and uh, complaints about that and one thing i wanted to ask you that i hear frequently is how disclosure can carry costs in the secondary trading costs. What what do you think? In your opinion, does disclosure impact bond pricing or value or valuation?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, the, the disclosure of a material credit event would definitely have an impact on valuation. But what we're talking about is just the what impact would would a, an ongoing Disclosure regime uh, have on issuers' cost of capital, and in theory, it should have a positive impact, right? On, uh, at least over the long run. And I, say, I think most by now, most of the larger issuers probably believe that because they they need constant access to the market, so they they just you know they have to cater to the, to to the market's needs. But I, it's still much harder to convince the smaller and infrequent issuers because they they usually see more downside than upside to. Providing too much disclosure beyond you know a s- fairly simple set of financial statements. So that's 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 really and the quality of the disclosure definitely impacts the liquidity of a particular bond though. I mean that 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 much is, is I think it's true. Lack of disclosure. Lack of
2: liquidity, you mean?
1: Yes. Yeah, so reduce th- 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 liquidity, th- I would say. You know, and, and it kind of makes sense. You know, you you, you need to spend you know, a day uh, getting up to speed on the credit versus you know twenty minutes uh, because you you know the, you've been provided uh, an ongoing information uh, all along. That's that makes a lot of difference in how much you can how much you're going to bid on on a, on a bond you know, and and how, how quickly of, you can bid on it. A-,
3: a lot of small issuers just aren't aware that they have any disclosure uh, obligations. You know, they they issue bonds maybe once every three years, maybe once every five. And, uh, you know, they issue bonds and they don't think about it after that. They, they pay their debt service, of course, uh, but that's all on automatic pilot for the most part. They don't, they don't really think about the bond markets and, and what the re- disclosure requirements are. And, of course, their bankers, uh, whoever bought their bonds in the primary market, are supposed to play a role in all that, but that doesn't always happen
1: yeah i think mean for 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 people who are not not used to to, to munis i mean i think the fundamental hurdle is, is the fact that the sec and the msrb don't have the authority to to impose you know a, a disclosure regime on municipal issuers right? so what, what they've had to do is kind of indirectly try to enforce it through the broker dealer and the investment banking community and, and just to make you know those players responsible for the for the disclosure practices of of their own clients. And that's kind of a a very roundabout way of of trying to get to to, to, to the right spot, but it's certainly not not perfect. Mm -hmm. That was a popular
2: program (laughs) with the banks. You know, you were saying earlier about that just institutional investors were um, getting the information. And that reminds me of something somebody was telling me last week about it was I was writing about some project finance high yield deal. And they were saying and, you know, I was complaining about how it was hard to find anything. And they were saying that for a lot of those deals that are just placed with maybe one or two institutional people, that's they are really just kind of providing those guys with the disclosure and with the information and, and not disseminating it more broadly. And so that raises a question I want to ask you, considering you're kind of a high yield expert, what do you think is disclosure, you know, sort of quote unquote worse in the high yield market or, or maybe more generally, are there other significant disclosure variations among different segments in the muni market?
1: Well, I mean, I think we've come a long way in high yield also, right? I mean, there's still a huge difference in, in the quality of disclosure between say healthcare and 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 private activity bonds, but I think most high yield buyers now nowadays do require a fairly robust disclosure regime to go along with any new issue, and and I I can and I can say that uh, in fact most high yield obligors now host regular investor calls that are that are actually open to the public and not just to their own investors. So so that 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 has you know also improved. Um, now, when you, you talk about uh, li- limited private uh, offerings that, that are, you know, owned by only a handful of investors, uh, yeah, you, you can have a more restricted flow of information, but, but I, I would say for the sake of those bondholders, I think it, it would behoove them to promote, you know, a, a more constant uh, stream of information about their own holdings because that, that can only really help them you know when, when 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 they need to transact or to trade out of those, those positions it, it it really doesn't help uh, unless they, they think they, they you know they they they're they're going to own them uh, into maturity which is possible mm-hmm. um, that that um, it it would certainly detract from from the liquidity of the bonds to not have full transparency
3: mm-hmm. Tria, let me ask you a question. Uh, wondering if you've ever run across this. A few years ago, I was at a place and we were thinking of buying some military housing bonds, and the disclosure was non-existent. And just a little background: military housing bonds are uh, are, are bonds. Uh, bond issues are used to uh, build housing for the military in various parts of the country. Anyway, we couldn't get any information about the bonds and they said you can't get information unless you're a bondholder and we said well we don't want to we don't know if we want to be a bondholder until we get some information and they said uh, yeah that's right so you're in a catch 22 there have you run across any similar situations
1: yeah actually in fact i think we um, back at my, uh, my my prior position before DPC with at uh, new World capital i think we we actually monitored a, a portfolio of military housing uh, deals for for a client and and I think you, you you're correct there I think they we had to get all the the, the information from the client not not directly from the issuers because they, they would not disclose to us uh, the, you know as, as an independent player uh so that yeah we, we did have that that problem but again there I think they they, they it, it it was in the client's best interest to 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 pass the information along because I think obviously um, they 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 do want us to to get uh, all the information that we need and 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 again in turn that would help the, the liquidity of their bonds uh, eventually.
3: There, there was some talk yeah, about think,
1: actually yeah, somebody wanted to create a, a database of, of military housing uh, projects. Also, but I don't know where if that ever went anywhere. Yeah,
3: that's that a that's a tall order, but yeah, that that illustrates perfectly, I think, that you and I both ran into the same issue. And uh, it doesn't—it doesn't do the bondholders any good, I don't
2: think. Yeah, I mean that. It seems like it's—you know—we keep coming back to that—that that idea of transparency, and that it just behooves everybody, especially if you want to um, trade out at a certain point, like you were saying. Um, I know analysts like like me, you know, like reporters. We've, you know, people have kind of gotten used to scouring all these different places for information. Um, you know, watching small you know, county board meetings or reading minutes of various things to try to get information. But so let's let's just go back for a second, Triet, and tell us a little bit about DPC. Young and Greg, you know, both mentioned it's been around for a long time. So maybe if you could tell us a little bit about it, its history and how it's evolved or changed to meet the to meet the market's needs over over its history.
1: Yeah. Um- well, DPC data has been around for I guess about 28 years now, so we're closing in on on on, on our third decade. And as Greg mentioned, we used to be in an Urmser uh, repository, so we, you know so we have gathered quite a, a treasure trove of, of muni documents you know, over the years. Up until now, I think DPC is probably is best known to the broker dealer community because of our you know, where we're kind of a, a, a market leader in compliance and, and disclosure solutions. Um, for instance, our, our, our key product is, is uh, it's called MuniPoints and it's, you can think of it as, as kind of a souped up, cleaned up version of Emma, you know, uh, when we, we kind of cleaned up all the, the, the posting errors, you know, when we map them to uh, and and we bring together, you know, selected reference data, and of course, they, did, they cleaned up disclosure data and 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 news also all in one product. So, so about uh, I would say about two years ago, I think Mashman decided to expand into financial data collection uh, because they, they they were getting you know so many requests from from their clients who are kind of unhappy with uh, what's currently available in the marketplace, um, particularly when when it comes to you know some. Uh, smaller issuers and 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 some, some high yield sectors. So I think that's that's one of the the reason I, I came on board. Is, uh, you know, uh, about a year ago. Although I was consulting for another year before that, it uh, is to to help uh, uh, structure this um, this financial data collection effort. Um, then my, so our my most recent uh, product uh, which we're we're rolling out uh, as we speak is is our, our uh, so-called uh, obligor and sector mapping product.
2: Yeah, I saw that, and and I looked at, um, I was when I was rummaging around on the site, and I saw that and looked at, you guys have Chicago up there as an example, um, and you kind of break down Chicago's capital structure in a way that's cool. It seems like drilling down to find all the obligors seems like such a daunting task. I mean, I know it is even for me to try to, you know, kind of figure out always who the obligor is. So... You know, why is that important to the
1: market? Well, you know, I mean, uh, just, just to bring it back to the comparison between you know, corporates and, and, and munis, I mean, it, it, in, in the corporate sector, if, if you buy a bond, an, an Apple corporate bond, you know the obligor is, is, is Apple, right? And that in, in the muni market, that's not the case at all. You can have an entity that only acts as as a conduit issuer just to issue the bonds, and has has no other further obligation to uh, you know to the bondholders, then you have you could have a couple more entities that you know lease or lease back or, or you know that that have transactions among themselves, and it takes a lot of work to actually figure out who what the actual credit is, who's ultimately responsible for the debt service. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really, and for somehow, you know our market has been able to to. To put up with that over, over you know all these years and people almost kind seem to, to have given up on on, on, on trying to, to to unravel that except for you know uh for for the, the holdings that they owned uh, which are analyzed by their, their own analysts so uh, when we started out our financial data, data collection effort um, uh, we, we quickly realized that uh, in order to avoid some of the the, the pitfalls of the existing Databases that we have to kind of design some, you know, very specialized templates for each sector. You know that one of the problem with the existing d- databases is they try to shoehorn everything into just, uh, uh, you know, a small set of of, of data templates. So uh, so it, it became very very um, unworkable uh, because you know you you can't have like healthcare using same templates as GOS and so on and so forth. So anyway. Mm-hmm. So once we realized that we, we you know, we, and, and knowing some of the shortcomings of the, uh, the reference data in our market, we kind of decided to bite the bullet and, 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 and go back and start from scratch and, and, and say, yeah, okay, well, we, I guess as the first step before we start collecting the financial data is we need to remap uh, all issuers in the marketplace and, 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 and do the correct direct obligor Right, and and uh, and then use that to classify them into the correct sector so that we can assign the sector to the correct data template. So that that was kind of the, the genesis of mm. of that effort, and that it turned out, as as you can imagine, turned out to be an, an enormous task. But where we're happy that we did that because it uh, it, it now seems to be like it seems like it, it's feeling um, uh, a need in the marketplace, and we've had um, actually a uh, you know a lot of positive feedback uh, for the sector mapping and the algorithm sector mapping on its own. You know even even without the financial data, because it, mm-hmm. it's now become, it, you know, it become obvious that, that you kind of need that that kind of you know clean uh, reference data, uh, for, for from a credit standpoint.
3: My head uh, is off to you, Triat, uh, because. It- one of, There's two big things, I think, that confuse people who are new to the muni market. I know it confused me. Uh, one is uh, the issuer versus the obligor. And, uh, you know, why does a hospital need, uh, uh, for instance, the State Dormitory Authority, New York State Dormitory, Authority, to issue its bonds? And uh, for our listeners, that's because you have to be a municipal corporation to issue bonds, and a nonprofit hospital in this example is not um, a municipal corporation. And the other is that um, the wide variety of revenue streams. The example, Caitlin and I were talking the other day, and, and I used the example of GM. And I said, yeah, if you buy a GM bond, it's payable from uh, all the revenues of GM. G- GM doesn't issue Corvette bonds, for instance. If they did, they probably felt pretty well. Sure. But. Uh, <laughs> You know the uh, I guess I guess the Chevy Vega probably would not have been as hot is a is bond, but that's but that's the uh, that's the difference. One big difference t- between the two markets. One muni issuer is as as uh, Caitlin said. you used the example of Chicago in there. Can have uh, just just in that uh, organizational tree you have on your website. There's got to be ten different types of bonds in there. One of which is uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport. And until I looked at that more closely a few years ago, I always just thought that was an independent authority, kind of like the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. But it's actually, as you know, an enterprise fund of the City of Chicago. So that shows you how what a what a wide, you know, how, how complex the market is. And, and I and I think your efforts will will go a long way in helping people understand the market and to kind of wade through the uh, complexities of it.
1: Yeah, I think when you know, I, and I, you know, as you said, I think, I mean, the the, the 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 first application of that is that you 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 are going to be able to, particularly when our, our mappings is done at the Q sub nine level, you know, that you you'll be able to actually roll up, you know, all the the different arbivores, uh, say, under the city of Chicago. Um, in, in, into the, the, the city's capital structure, which you, you've—I don't think you've ever, ever been able to do in the past—and—and—and uh, and, 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 you know, an obligor can be just a stream of revenue, So I Just you know, it, just like in the uh, in Greg's uh, the GM example, you know, you, you actually have you know Chevrolet uh, 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 a revenue stream, which is an obligor unto itself. And here, you can have uh, you know, even the sales tax. The, uh, the the local sales tax as its own obligor because it it, it is an independent independently pledged uh, revenue stream to a particular set of bonds so um, and then I think the you know not not to belabour the point but uh, you know there's been a lot of talk of course uh, like in any other sectors about uh, machine learning applications and, and and artificial intelligence but to us none of that can happen unless you have a clean a reference data set, and hopefully that's what we we're hoping to to provide. And then once you you know once you have this, and then this, you know who knows what what creative uh, applications that uh, our users will will come up with.
3: That's a, that's a very good point.
2: Also, you know it's important now too, as we're sort of in the in this kind of. I mean, in all parts of our lives, we're under this sort of stress test. We're all getting stress tested a little bit by the pandemic. And on the credit front, as we start to possibly, you know, I think the market has different views about this, if we're going to start to see more distress and what level in the market, but certainly the more disclosure and the more data and the cleaner data um, that comes up, you know, that's out there is better for, you know, for investors in particular, if they want to be able to figure out the relationships between different um, you know, between different credits and who's who's the actual obligor. Um, I know the SEC and May. You know, with COVID, bringing up COVID, the SEC in may put out that statement encouraging issuers to step up their disclosure, the timeliness and the accuracy of um, disc- of their disclosure during COVID. And so, I wanted to ask you um, if you know of any SEC or MSRB MSRB proposals floating around. Right now, on the table that might affect disclosure, is there anything going on that we should know about?
1: Um, no, I don't think we're aware of anything beyond the, the May fourth uh, joint statement from, you know, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton and, and Rebecca Olson, uh, who's director of the Office of Municipal Securities. And for people who haven't heard about it, um, basically the, the statement encouraged the issuers to, to discuss the. Uh, impact of the pandemic on their on fiscal conditions uh, and it kind of gave them a little bit of a, of, of, of a free pass um, uh, in terms of, of uh, making forward-looking projections right uh, which issues are very very reluctant to do uh, for fear of potential legal liability so um, but I, I have to say you know in general our observation has been that that very few issues have really taken that route um, uh, for instance, the the um, obviously we we uh, we 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 were flagging all the COVID nineteen related uh, disclosure documents uh, in our system, uh, and it basically the uh, in terms of in the secondary market in terms of the, the material events uh, types of disclosure that's related to COVID, it kind of peaked at you know just under like 800, 800 or so uh, in April, and then. That's completely collapsed since since then that, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it reached kind of a low of only 134 in, in September.
2: Uh, You're talking a month that you saw, the peak was 800 a yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, of 18, yeah. Of this yeah, COVID yeah. COVID and now it's down. And since then, it's Really gone down, and now it was like
1: 150. 134 by September, but it's kind of picked up a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the uh, in October to 179, but still not nowhere near near, near the peak. Um, and so, so that, that that was a little bit um, uh, disappointing to us, really. Um, uh, I think that there's been a bit more effort to come out with uh, interim uh, financials, which was, I'm sure that's been helpful. Um, but it, it almost seems like the market was taking a wait and see attitude to see how much mm-hmm. uh, uh, fiscal help they they're going to get, you know, from Congress and and um, and from, from and from the from the Fed, so that um, they were kind of withholding, uh, you know, any projections or estimates to, to see what's going to happen, particularly going into the election. So. Uh, um, so, it seems like that—that that was where, what's happening. Um, so, we really, you know, I think the COVID-related uh, disclosure has really not been all, all that helpful.
2: Uh, so That's far. too bad. That's too bad. Yeah, I think I feel like we're in a holding pattern in general for that. phetamine, not just with disclosure, but also with but how a lot of governments are going to deal with their budgets. Right. And. Um, and even rating agencies and what kind of downgrade that we seem to sort of be in this little holding pattern. Was there any theme with that COVID disclosure? Was it more just like, we don't know the impact it's going to, or was there any other theme that emerged that you saw?
1: Well, I think the, you know, if you you kind of look back at the composition of of the disclosure, it, um, I guess the one positive thing is that there were very few kind of uh credit distress related uh type of, of of events right and there's still very few uh only a couple of the debt service reserve draws here and there and and but as you know that that's the other problem with with with, with Emmer, i guess uh is is the garbage in garbage out problem you know even uh incoming msrb chairman mark kim just uh, <laughs> said as much that because you know they can provide a platform, but uh, it's up it's still up to issuers to to tag uh, their their documents correctly, mm-hmm. and and um, and so what what we did what what happened is, is that they you know they didn't really did threw everything into this big other basket that that's really doesn't you know it's not very helpful at all and in in fact as part of our service I think we've been trying to 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 further categorize that 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 other basket into some more meaningful subcategories because otherwise it's it's it, uh, it, you know it's like a huge miscellaneous uh, category that, that, that that's not very helpful at all it's not, not very informative all right but but the good news so far is that you know really and maybe just just a postpone postponement of, of the inevitable but you know in, in it looks like in in, in the high yield sectors uh you know there's been a lot more disclosure about taking on PPP loans and so on and so forth. So uh, many IU issuers seem to have taken advantage of the, of, mm-hmm. of the loan program and, and got some temporary cash flow relief. Now, you know, that's obviously the uh, well, only can only go so far. So, mm-hmm. um, so the next few months, actually, will be the, 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 the real reckoning uh, from the credit standpoint, I think. Why the next two months? Well, I think now, again, you know, once the the, the picture clears up, but you know, again, how much fiscal support is is, is, is going to come through, you know, or, or mm, I depending you know. on 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 the you know, composition of, of the eventual composition of the Senate, then then I, I think a lot a lot of issues, both in in high grade, uh, in high yield, where we have to to come to grips with the, the new fiscal realities, and and I think the large extent as you mentioned um most of them really haven't and 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 the rating agencies are also kind of kind of stuck because they they are very leery of kind of um kind of laying 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 it on right when when Mm -hmm. is going through uh uh, you know humanitarian crisis but eventually i mean you know they 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 also have have to take some kind of action because so far, all, all, all they're doing is really a lot of saber rattling, but not yeah,
2: not a lot. making a sound. Know. Yeah, yeah, we're all yeah. okay. Waiting for the Illinois downgrade.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> saber rattling is an excellent way to put it.
1: Yeah.
3: And uh, just just one other comment. I, I you mentioned this the Senate triad. I think that all all of this hinges on the outcome of who has the majority in the Senate. And for obvious reasons, uh, which our listeners are, are aware of, uh, Democrats will will be more generous, I think, to uh, state and local governments than, uh, than a split, than one party being in charge of the Senate and another in charge of the House.
1: Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, my guess is that, that there will be very little support for Using the, the crisis as a cover to to solve your structural deficit, right? And and, and our, our home state of Illinois is, is is the case in point. I think they they were very early on they 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 had, they they had their hands out that uh, try you know try to to, to get as, as much help as possible so that they don't have to really deal with the, their pension problems. But uh, I'm feeling that's just not going to fly. And 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 with with the defeat of the, um, the progressive uh, income tax proposal. There's gonna be a lot of hard decisions that have to be made
2: uh, over the next couple months. Yep, it's gonna be a big, it'll be a heavy time for the market for sure. And for a lot of those issuers is wait, wait, and see what the feds end up doing.
1: Right.
0: Yes, very interesting. Uh, Triet. we wanna sort of wrap things up. I want to get your last thoughts in terms of COVID and disclosure. Do you see if you had a crystal ball, like any last thoughts, any permanent impact or changes to the disclosure landscape in the future?
1: Well, I, I think that remains to be, be seen, uh, Young, But um, that's why we will, can always hope that um, that the, the COVID crisis will 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 get issuers to to start thinking more about uh, what and how to this to, to to disclose uh, to investors and 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 hopefully um, um, move the ball forward in terms of uh, timeliness of, uh, of of the information and and uh, really. Starting to think about an ongoing this disclosure practice, as opposed to waiting until uh, they come to market to to um, to make the disclosure. So, uh, you know, but that's we've been wishing that for a long time. So, I I, I guess I'm I'm uh, I remain skeptical that anything uh, significant is going to change.
0: All right. Well, we'll keep that in mind. But Triad, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure having you on the show, and we also like to thank. Kaylin Devitt, Greg Clark, and our producer, Kristen Yala, for being here as well. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you all. All right. And that is our show for today. So my, many thanks to our participants. And again, thanks to your listeners out there in Muniland who tune in week after week for the latest on distressed Muni credits on the Muni Lowdown. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.